0: Good morning everyone and uh, thank you so much for joining us in today's exciting session. Uh, my name is Himanshu. I represent SpeakIn and you are logging into another exciting session of the Leaders Speak series of SpeakIn webinars. Uh, today's session is very special and our guest for today is uh, Professor M. K. Johan and leading the conversation is uh, Mr. Suresh Mahalingam. A very quick introduction about Mr. Suresh Mahalingam. Uh, Mr. Mahalingam is a management consultant and an industry veteran. He, he is presently an independent director at Principal Asset Management uh, Private Limited and has served previously as non-executive director at WGC Corp. Before that, Mr. Mahalingam has served as the MD and CEO at Tata AIA Life Insurance and is a fantastic moderator for today's session. Moving on to Mr. Professor M.K. Chauhan. Professor M.K. Chauhan is chairman of Mahindra and Young Knowledge Foundation. He's the chairman at Global Advisory Board, the agency uh, for corporate governance and sustainability. And he's also the chairman at Inno Payment Bank. I'll, I'll now pass on the conversation to Mr. Suresh Mahalingam for his opening thoughts as well as for a broad introduction of Professor M.K. Chauhan. Thank you so much and I hope that you guys have a fantastic session.
1: Thank you, Shu, and welcome everybody. And welcome, Mr. Chauhan. Uh, it's
0: always
1: a pleasure to interact with you, talk to you. Uh, I, I obviously know of you, and, and uh, uh, let me give you a brief introduction about Mr. Chauhan. But before I do that, I think the topic is a very interesting topic. I mean, the topic is the role of boards in creating value through good governance and business excellence. It's a very relevant topic in these challenging times. Uh, more so, uh, COVID-19 has made us wear gloves and masks. But it has also made us rethink how to maximize board effectiveness and engagement during this pandemic. The ramifications will be challenging. There will be an increased thrust and responsibility on the boards of directors to manage the complexity during this crisis. The current COVID-19 pandemic has not only heightened uncertainty for the economy unemployment, finances, etc., including the change in consumer behavior. How could board directors pool their wisdom to help organizations grapple with the challenge of a lifetime? What will be the board responsibilities in areas such as strategic direction, financial resilience, leadership succession, executive compensation, Organizational culture, risk management uh, and more, and more importantly, sustainability. How effectively could the board of Directors strengthen governance, manage unexpected crises and make decisions that drive long-term corporate success? Mr. M.K. Sohan needs absolutely no introduction in the areas of corporate governance and sustainability as he has been championing this cause for the best of my knowledge over 25 years. I have the pleasure of sitting with him on several boards and have seen the value that he brings more so in the area of corporate governance. Mr. Chauhan is a senior professional, board advisor and management educator. He's a consultant to IFC World Bank Group and also holds a certificate by Global Corporate Governance Forum IFC World Bank Group, USA, as a trainer for Board of Directors. Mr. Chauhan is Chairman of Mahendra Young Knowledge Foundation and Vice Chairman of Global Advisory Board of Asian Center for Corporate Governance and Sustainability. Mr. Chauhan is Managing Director of a very successful board advisory company, Mahendra and Ardenham Consulting, Private Limited, specializing in aligning and embedding sustainability in the business strategy, a very, very relevant and an important subject in these times where many people don't understand. And it's it's people like Mr. Chauhan who've been driving this focus, not just of corporate governance, but also sustainability. He's currently chairman of Pinot Payments Bank and sits on several boards as independent director. Now, this is one part of his illustrious career. He's also a popular speaker at national and international conferences and is invited very regularly to deliver keynote addresses, to chair panel discussions, and as a chief guest across the globe. He's a visiting faculty at Tilburg University, Netherlands, Indian Institute of Technology, Bombay, and Jamilal Bajaj Institute of Management Studies, Mumbai. He teaches international business, corporate governance, and corporate social responsibility, amongst many other other subjects that he periodically does guest lectures and teaches. He has written several articles and co-authored two international books on corporate governance, one published from Singapore and the other one published by the Institute of Directors London. I could go on and on and on, but enough to say a privilege to have him on this show to share his immense knowledge on the role of boards in creating value through good governance and business excellence. So welcome to the uh, Session, uh, Mr. Chowan, and it's, it's a delight to have you here.
2: Thank you, Suresh. So,
1: what we will do, sir, is to kind of take you through a journey of you, the person, you, the person championing multiple causes. And in today's session, we will focus on corporate governance and business excellence and dwell and upon sustainability in, in some, some manner or the other. And the basic idea would be to for you to throw all the experiences for all our listeners who have tuned in so that they can enrich and enlighten themselves from the knowledge that you can absolutely share. So let me start my round of questions with you. And the first round of questions is typical about you the person, you the person? Amazing credentials. Uh, one needs to understand what keeps you going, I mean, Author, keynote speaker, professor, advisor, board member, chairman. I think the quest somehow seemed to be continuing and keeps continuing. Take us through your journey and what are some key leadership lessons to learn from this?
2: So thank you, Suresh, for that uh, kind introduction. And also thank you, uh, speaking and Himanshu, for your kind words too. First of all, let me say that how delighted I am today to be amongst you, speaking particularly, I'm told, is one of the finest uh, network for speakers in Asia. So before I start answering your questions, Suresh, I must say at the outset, you know, uh, today being the teacher's day, let me convey my grateful thanks to all my teachers and my professors and my mentors who are all around the world for making me what I am today. And thank you, To all my students, I have something like 7,500 students because I've been teaching MBA students for last 25 years. And in almost 30 different countries, 7,500 students. So thank you my students for making the teacher that I am. So with that, I want to start, you know, uh, if I had to describe my journey of life, you ask me Suresh, in one word, I would say it is exciting. And I say it is exciting because of several reasons. Like many other person's life, my life also has been full of triumphs and turbulences, but I must admit, despite of all this, there has never ever been a dull moment. And I call it exciting because it has been a wholesome journey. Uh, I have not only evolved professionally, but also personally, emotionally, socially, I have a beautiful family, many professional friends who are virtually now becoming family friends, and I have some very special lifetime friends. So, when I look back, I am filled with the sense of satisfaction. So, that's about me. Now, coming to the leadership lessons to be learned from my journey, Suresh, I believe in principle based leadership, which means find the purpose, means will follow. So, there has to be a purity of purpose then people automatically start rallying behind you and for that purpose. And I want to tell my listeners, and many of them are youngsters, that don't be afraid to start alone. Don't be afraid to walk alone. I believe in that famous philosophy by Ravindranath Tagore, which says, Ekla Chalo Re. For my foreign uh, listeners who do not understand Hindi, that walk alone, people will come along. So once people see your conviction and determination, they begin to join you. So I always say, May zanibe sorry, So to translate this, that when I started, I was alone and I knew my destination. But when I started progressing, people started joining me and it became a karma. So that's uh, what, you know, is one of the biggest lessons I want to share. One more leadership lesson I want to share with the listeners is that to be a good leader, you have to be a good follower. And what do I mean by that? I want to say that you have to cultivate a good number of mentors in life and follow them, learn from their experiences and insights. I have done it in my life all the time, and I want to publicly mention about my thanks to all my mentors from whom I've learned a lot, but particularly today's since this program is on corporate governance and sustainability. I want to mention the name of my mentor, Mervyn King and Mr. Minushrof. Both of them are members of our Global Advisory Board of Asian Center for Corporate Governance and Sustainability. Marvin is the chairman. Uh, there are quite a few others. So to conclude, cultivate a good number of mentors, learn from them, life will be beautiful.
1: Perfect, so purpose, followers, mentors, uh, you know, again, these are uh, beautiful uh, leadership attributes that one must have. And following up on purpose, follower, and mentorship, I, I realized that you know it's very rare to find many people passionately speaking on the subject of corporate governance, as, as if it, it appeared that Chauhan's existence for the last 25 years has been a, a purposeful journey of you know, uh, educating people on the areas of corporate governance, sustainability, and a whole host of other things. People have varied interests that they pursue, but I'm keen to understand what were your motives, triggers, to embark on this journey of corporate governance and sustainability for so many
2: years. So, well, there have been uh, several triggers, but let me talk about two or three years, you know, First of all, uh, my father's teachings, you know, and the sanskaras that he imparted to me. So uh, my inclination towards value-based system and corporate governance is nothing but corporate sanskaras and the DNA of an organization. When I was 10 years young, you know, my father told me, Sonny, you are going to grow in an era which will be a knowledge era. So go after Saraswati, Lakshmi will follow, which means go go after knowledge, don't chase money, money will automatically follow. So that's one trigger. Secondly, and therefore, uh, you know, those words stuck in my mind, Suresh. And then uh, when I became president of Bombay Management Association, one of India's most marquee management associations in 1999, 2000, which was millennium year, I thought of, Formalizing my entire thought process and future journey. And I, I launched the Mahendra and Young Knowledge Foundation in 1999, and <coughs> that was launched with the first international conference of corporate governance and uh, United States uh, Information Service, USIS, which is now called American Center. They were having a visitor called Caroline Brancato, who was the head of the corporate governance of uh, conference board, which is world's largest, uh, you know, body of uh, top CEOs around the world. They came to me and they said, "Mandra, we are doing, uh, we are getting an international speaker. Would you like to do a program around her? So we worked out a international conference on corporate governance with Caroline Branketo as a speaker. I reached out to Indo-American Society, Chamber of Commerce, Bombay Management Association, and Mahindra Young Knowledge Foundation, all of us together, we did that first international program. So that was my first trigger. But more uh, push came from my Theta uh, you know, with Sir Adrian Kedvani, but let me come back to another big event which also triggered my thoughts it, in 1997-98 if you remember many of the youngsters would not know but my other professional colleagues who are on this call would know that there was an uh, Asian meltdown you know it was Asian financial crisis which started from Thailand and spread around to all Asian countries. So uh, it was largely attributed to the failure of corporate governance and I felt to myself that there is a need and a serious need and an urgent need to something to do about corporate governance. Coming back to my another mentor, Sir Ajahn I invited him then to India in 2000. And we did our second international conference again by my Young Knowledge Foundation. And I spoke to him that, Sir Edwin Cadbury, corporate governance to my mind is a cultural issue. He said, What do you mean? I said, Different directors in different countries look at corporate governance and how to run their companies from the point of view of their own culture. So it may not be proper to completely emulate what is happening on corporate governance in UK, Europe, and America. So what if, if we have a body which is focused to Asia, uh, as Asian Centre for Corporate Governance? Uh, he said, that's an excellent idea, but do not miss out on the, the best practices around the world. And that's how was born the idea of Asian Centre for Corporate Governance and Global Advisory Board, because the members of Global Advisory Board, which are from United States, Europe, South Africa, Asia, India are the ones who bring best practices in corporate governance to us in Asian Center. Now I am proud to say that we are in 20th year of our institutional journey. So that was the story of the trigger for corporate governance, and finally, foundation in 2001, March 2001 launched. Promoted the Asian Center for Corporate
1: Governance. Okay, interesting. No, so I, I I liked the 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 aspect that you brought of Saraswati and Lakshmi in terms of knowledge and expansion of knowledge and and the aspect of you know monetary gains following subsequently. But more importantly, coming back in your in your zeal for corporate governance, you sit it on multiple boards. You use it on uh, a couple of boards. I always find the topic of raising the bar on corporate governance you know, becomes, a, a, I would say, a work in progress, but may have not reached the last milestone in terms of absolute effectiveness. So how does one, more so in these challenging times, it's the relevance of corporate governance, the relevance of risk matrices becomes very important. How do you raise the bar of good corporate governance? What steps do we need to take? Are there one or two steps that every organization need to follow? Because good corporate governed companies, to my mind, have better, profit, better profitability. Yet, we continue to find gaps in governance. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a problem. It's an issue. I, I'm sure we're addressing it. But are there any solutions that we have in, in, uh, that we can, we can look at in, in terms of improving the standards?
2: Yes, yeah, So I'll I'll come to the raising the bar for corporate governance in a bit, but I realise that I missed out on the sustainability aspect that you asked me. So let me sure. just quickly spend half a minute on sustainability and what was the trigger sure. for that. So I told you my mentor uh, and the global advisory board chairman Marvin King. Uh, he was then the global chairman for a body called GRI. It's global reporting initiative based out of Amsterdam, but it's a global body, which has created the global framework on sustainability reporting. So in 2008, he introduced me to that body and I was invited to Amsterdam to speak on their annual conference on corporate governance and sustainability connectivity and how they how board can work in the area of sustainability. And uh, that was my privilege to be seen in the global media because BBC uh, covered that session and rest is history. Thereafter, we decided to give more focus to sustainability along with corporate governance in our center. And we renamed our center as Asian Center for Corporate Governance and Sustainability. sustainability. Yeah, right. And then I got elected as the global council member of GRI for six years. And now I am, uh, for the last four years, I am a member of the independent appointment committee of GRI, which is responsible to select the global sustainability board members. So that's about sustainability. Okay. Now, let me come back to the raising of the bar. You know, the bar can be raised by, first of all, boards and institutional investors. These are the two most important players who can raise the bar of corporate governance. And I'll talk about each one of them. First, institutional investors, because they are the ones who can create the push, you know, to the top management, CEOs particularly. they have the wherewithal to decipher the complex financial statements of the company and they have the muscle power if they choose they can remove directors they can vote against proposals which they think is not in the long-term sustainability interest of the company coming to the boards you know boards can raise the bar by doing two things one is splitting the chair and managing director position. That's an extremely important issue and which I think as per the quota committee's uh, recommendation That's is a little, little away. They have addressed, but a little away. Uh, so uh, for obvious reasons, because we need a very, very independent, separate focus on the governance part of the board where the chairman should be independent uh, and the managing director should be focused for running the company on day to day. So that's one important step which boards can take. And the second one is the board should truly believe in independence and get the arithmetic of independent directors on the board right. Of course, as per the requirement of the SEBI and Ministry of Corporate Affairs, there are certain numbers of independent directors mandated, but unless company truly believes in that independence and the institution of independent directors, they might bring in people who might pass the muster of independent director definition, but they may not still be independent. So make uh, a business case of corporate governance. There have been many, many efforts you said. Uh, uh, it's not that nothing has been done, uh, but a lot needs to be done more. And what needs to be done more, Suresh, is that we have to create and empirical evidence, a strong empirical evidence, which proves that good governance is good business, because businesses understand the language of business, CEOs understand the language of money. So unless they are convinced that good governance is good business for them, and they are convinced about the strong business case, things will not move.
0: I
1: just I, I, I to take take your uh, analysis a little forward. I find where there are multinational uh, organisations, the the, uh, the corporate governance standards are of a different nature. A large part of the promoter-driven entities have a different aspect to corporate governance, and there is there appears to be a gap. Uh, do you see recognition of uh, promoter-driven companies and and the role of boards changing, the role of governance changing, and more so in these times? Do you see that happening from your own experience? Because You've been advising a lot of lot of these companies, and do you see that recognition coming in, or the, the fact that we need to change, whether in terms of the MD and the and the chairman, or whether in terms of uh, uh, more independent, more number of independent directors, or whether in terms of the board uh, uh, ability to not influence, but ability to at least uh, give enough suggestions
2: for change. Quite a bit of recognition is coming in, quite a bit of change of heart is happening, you know. Uh, for example, there are <clears throat> uh, many family-managed companies, promoter-driven companies, you know, within India and Asia, uh, you know, who have begun to realize that it makes a lot of sense to bring in a good number of independent directors on the board and bring in a professional CEO because ownership is different from being on the board so let me give you example for example of two companies that come uh, from family uh, managed and promoter driven companies is asian paints for example a large uh, company one of the sensex companies look at their board they have brought almost very very eminent professionals who are independent minded professionals and they will speak up mm-hmm. and they have also been for last almost uh, 10 years or so, having the professional CEOs to run the organization. Of course, the family members and sions of the family are on the board and they get involved in the businesses, but there is a way to strike a balance and they've seen the real value and emulating that many other promoter-driven companies. Another company that I would like to give an example is Merico. Uh, Mr. Mariwala, you know, is, is known to me and they've yeah. also been the Good recipient. Example. Recipient. Both of these companies have been recipient of the best-governed companies by Asian Center for Corporate Governance and Sustainability, and therefore I am free to talk about them. So, so you know, when promoters are convinced that there's a value in governing the company with transparency, accountability, bringing in professionals, they begin to do that and they begin to listen to them and the progress. Uh, goes on no,
1: no, that, these are very good examples I, I must say they're very good examples while, while I'm sp- speaking to Mr. Chawan, uh, those people who are listening and if you have any questions please post your questions on the q and A. will pick up the questions and ask uh, Mr. Chawan towards the uh, towards the end of the uh, session, so moving forward Mr. Chawan, uh, these are obviously very very uh, challenging times and most organizations are are looking at multiple ways to remain afloat, if I can put it at one level. But more importantly, I think from a management perspective, are looking at uh, a transformatory approach towards how to kind of take the business forward. So drafting these trans you know transformation missions obviously requires is, is backed by the pillars of transparency, ethics, sustainability, impact, purpose that you spoke about, and technology that in my mind will build Resilient organizations for the future, going forward from now. What are your views on the same and the role boards have to demonstrate in these times?
2: Yeah, so it's interesting. Uh, uh, you mentioned these these things. These are very, very important. But uh, incidentally, just uh, last week, I was reading an article in uh, HBR, you know, Howard Business Review, especially uh, on resilience. And... They define resilience as a company's capacity to absorb stress, recover critical functionality, and thrive in altered circumstances. And uh, you know, uh, so so crisis has got one important thing that there is an ambiguity and uncertainty. And crisis is a part and parcel of not only our life but all the businesses. So if you see, I mentioned to you 1997, Hello yeah
1: are you able to hear me you seem fresh. to be so is your yeah i'm able to hear you now
0: okay so um, i'm saying that uh, uh, i'm jumping in the middle of this thing uh, Professor professor do you have any mobile device lying around you mobile my own mobile yes my okay, i i think i think it's causing a slight interference there okay okay so we have i've have, I have kept it away no problem. uh yeah, so sorry.
2: Please is, go is this better uh, okay yeah good yeah so i'm saying that i was reading an article in howard business review just last week and it defines resilience as a company's capacity to, to absorb stress recover critical functionality and thrive in altered circumstances. So the problem is companies have been mainly focused on creating and executing stable plans, which work mm-hmm. when casual relationships are clear, predictable and unchanging. Okay. But resilience deals with what is unknown, changeable, unpredictable and improbable and has significant consequences. So in the current model of corporate capitalism, each company is treated as an economic island by itself to be optimized individually. But it masks the extent of economic and social interdependence between the different stakeholders. So that's very, very important. In contrast, resilience is the property of systems. And individual companies' resilience means little mm-hmm. if its supply base, customer base, the social system upon which it depends are disrupted. So this is what happened actually during the COVID pandemic. And therefore, it's important that resilience should be built as a culture. It should be built to, to deal with the entire chain of stakeholders and all the relationships and the environment around your business and the ecosystem. Okay, no, interest. Moving on I, again,
1: uh, again, on COVID again, uh, where, what are the implications of COVID-19, as you see, for directors and boards? You know? And uh, do you see intense activity involvement uh, uh, from, from at, at one level? Or conversely, what capabilities do we need uh, as directors uh, to demonstrate in these uncertain times? I mean, there was a normal period. There is an abnormal period. Uh, roles of directors and boards have always been spoken, but do you see a change uh, in this entire uh...
0: Sure.
2: So indeed, Suresh, you know, uh, COVID has been a Black Swan event and it has disrupted lives, it has disrupted livelihoods, it's, it di- disrupted the entire economy, and it has disrupted some companies completely and some partially. So the implication is pretty much, again, related to the rebuilding of the impaired and uh, workaround uncertainty and ambiguity till we get vaccines. And uh, uh, in enough quantity, because to be nearly 7 billion people, we will need multiple doses, multiple boosters. So uh, it's quite some time away. So we'll have to learn to live with this crisis. Therefore, to my mind, the implications for the board of directors is to build resilience organizations through the culture of resilience. And let me say what do I mean by cultures? To build the culture you require, deep thought about, relationships with your stakeholders, as I said earlier, the environment, the kind of incentives you give to alter the behavior of people within your organization, the strategy that you build what gets rewarded and what gets reprimanded in an organization, people take a lot of cue from that. And that's how the DNA of the organization and the culture of the organization gets built. And boards play a very, very important role in building this culture of resilience. And it is critical in times like this, where we are just about recovering from COVID pandemic. I trust I have answered your question.
1: You know, just to dwell on the culture of resilience, and I am I, a great advocate of a cultural change in organizations because I truly believe that that is what can be uh, that can change the DNA of an organization. Uh, do you see organizations focusing on what you just said in terms of uh, the culture of resilience? Are organizations uh, looking into it? And are they are the boards actively? Is this an area of uh, discussion that all boards should? Uh, if not dis, uh, discussing it to discuss it as we go forward I mean, Is there a way that your organization could play a role in terms of bringing this up uh, upfront i mean do you see any any uh, scope there
2: of course i am seeing i mean at least all the boards where i sit and the board that i chair <laughs> uh Uh, you know, immediately the moment the pandemic hit us in the month of March itself, you know, we, let me give you an example, which I am very proud of in case of Pheno payment bank, which I chair, we constituted a a crisis oversight committee of the board and we started meeting once every week and engaging with the management without stepping on their uh, toes. And taking much of their bandwidth because that time everybody's bandwidth was how to really keep the ship afloat, you know. So, and as we went along, we told them we are behind, use as a sounding board, any any uh, guidance that you need, please come to us. We are there to support you. We empowered them totally. The things started easing out, we reduced meeting once a fortnight and then once a month. So that's how the board can play a role of a parent at that point in time when there's a crisis hitting you, you know, the way you are caring, loving towards your child, towards your CEO, your management team, make them empowering and, you know, motivate them further. Now, culture building cannot be done in a short period. So after COVID, if people thought they want to build a culture of resilience, well, sorry, it can't be done so fast. So it's only those companies we have uh, which have... Over a period of time, believed in staying fit all the time and having transparency, accountability, ethics, having uh, treating all stakeholders with the principle of fairness. You know, there those companies, it's like a safety net for them. So that culture is like a safety net, you know, and they will not suffer much. So culture building is a slow process, is what I would tell. You. No, I agree. Correct.
1: Now, moving a little away from corporate governance and, and, and probably focusing on another area uh, on account of all the pandemic that we are seeing, Gartner has recently concluded that, concluding his annual board of directors survey uh, 2021, the survey shows that seven out of 10 boards of directors have accelerated their digital business initiatives with a significant number expecting increase in technology spend. Now, in an external environment where boards are anticipating economic slowdown, nearly 50% of them believe that their organizational business model will undergo a change. So, the two related questions to you are: What are the top outcomes that can be expected from digital business investments, including prioritization? And if you add there are there, any examples maybe from your experience with own payment banks? And what are and the second question: What are the expectations from CEOs? and other functional leaders during this change process?
2: No, uh, the, the Gartner survey is bang on, actually, and it's, uh, it's again interesting that you're asking me this question, just uh, last fortnight, we, we did a, uh, I organized a director uh, of uh, meet uh, e-meeting you know, for board of directors and I was a speaker there and I shared my own uh, Fino Payment Bank's digital transformation journey. And uh, McKinsey's Nourish Kap uh, was the speaker, and Yubi Rao of Infosys was the speaker. And I must quickly share some of the conversation that happened there for the interest of the, or for the benefit of the viewers today and listeners today. That increased spend on digital technology is evident, else, companies will lose out. Why? Because the whole business environment is undergoing a change. And the digital transformation is already very big. You know, what we have seen in last four months is uh, something like what we have seen in last 15 to 20 years Says one of the Times of India uh, news item. So let me share with you uh, that 90% of the companies have begun to look at that they need to do something in the digital transformation space and technology space. But only 17% of the companies from these 90% companies are able to move the resources and people towards this digital transformation um, uh, initiative. And only 2% of these people, you know, get it right. So that's the kind of uh, statistics that uh, Naushir Kaka shared with us. And, but what is important, which he shared that if managed well, this digital transformation can give you 10X of return on investment. And therefore, in terms of prioritization, it should come on top. Now coming to what are the expectations from CEOs? I would say that CEO and the functional leaders and the line managers should drive the digital transformation and not the IT guys. Not that IT guys uh, are not good, but CTOs and CIOs should only play a role of enablers, the functional leaders, because then only this initiative will uh, see the light of the day, otherwise, line managers and functional leaders, if they are not involved, they'll be busy in their uh, own business. And these two things will work in two different silos and the desired results will not come. And most important point, it is like stating the obvious, but it is important to state that, that the customer should be the focus of this entire digital transformation. And that's what we did in Fino Payment Bank. You know, we, first of all, I said that the digital transformation should start from the board. From the top so we said we should get an IT expert a former CEO who had run successfully an IT company who knows business who knows technology we brought him as an independent director on our board then we had a couple of uh, interactions with him with the entire board and we came up with a complete work plan strategy to roll out and then we unfolded our digital transformation journey i won't like to get in much detail in the interest sure. of time but it has been sure. very, very successful and successful uh, uh, because of which the Ministry of uh, Electronics, MTI, and IT have ranked the uh, Fino Payment Bank among top five banks in the league of HDFC Bank and ICICI Bank in terms of digital payments. So uh, today we, we command something like 11% of Aadhaar-enabled Payment, you know, in digital space. So that has been the success story of Finot
1: Payment Bank. No, I, I I agree, and I think Fino Payments Bank is an excellent example. I had the opportunity of of, of doing a similar conversation with uh, the MD and CEO of Pino Payments Bank, Rishi, and he echoed yes. the same thing in terms of uh, and more so. They have done, and under your chairmanship, the bank has really done extremely well in oh, these troubled times. so, so uh, it's a it's a testimony of. How boards have played an important role. It's testimony how digital trans, uh, transformation has happened. It's a testimony of our culture has got embedded, of the resilience that you spoke about. So i and all the all the aspects of what you've been saying for the last 40 minutes. Uh, I see that as a as a probably a great example in in the the bank that you chair. Now we've we've we're we've, we about 40 minutes of questions going on. There are some questions that are coming up from from the listeners. Uh, before I take some of those questions, I'm going to now make it a little light for you in terms okay. of you know, moving away from your subjects. Uh, now, mentally, physically, you've been a very active person. How do you keep yourself up to speed in these, uh, in these uh, times? Work from home, uh, you're a golfer, I know you, you love tennis, uh, But uh, multiple webinars that you must be doing every other day, championing the cause of corporate governance and sustainability. How do you manage?
2: Okay, it's easy. I mean, one has to have a, a discipline and regime. So to keep myself physically fit, I rely on three things. One is playing tennis. The other one is playing golf. But unfortunately, both these during this pandemic lockdown have not been able to happen. But long walks I have maintained because luckily for us, in my building, you know, I have I have a large plot. So we, I am very very regular. Or having long walks for 45 minutes to one hour. That's how I keep myself physically fit. But uh, to keep mentally fit, also, it's extremely important. And I picked up a new routine of playing chess, you know, in my laptop, with my laptop. And it's a good mind okay. gym, you know. Always massages okay. my uh, gray cells, you know. The only regret is I've never won, because you know the al- algorithms uh, which computers okay. put in, you know, are so tough, you know, that they can always beat you. But it's a great mind gym, you know. So it's it, it's uh, very very interesting. Keeps me active, agile, you know. So I do uh, uh, practice a little bit of meditation before going to sleep, you know, but not as as much. I do have a good uh, sort of uh, positive pressure within home. You know, my wife is in, in meditation in a big way uh, and in yoga. So I wish I will get to do both these little bit more. Uh, that's on my radar.
1: Terrific. Oh, great. What are, which are those, one or two things which you, which you would want to do, which you never did?
2: Okay. So, you know, again, my wife and I both love theaters and plays more than movies. And I have been going to this place before, even before my marriage, called Prathvi Theatre uh, in Juhu, you know, in Mumbai. Juhu, yeah, yeah, so, for listeners who do not know about Prathvi Theatre, it's an iconic theatre which was uh, started, it's a classic touch and was started by Prithviraj Kapoor, the cinema most daoyan uh, of Indian cinema. So, I've always felt this strong feeling, you know, whenever. I go there that I want to be into theatrics. I want to direct and produce a few plays, which I would want to do, uh, uh, time permitting. And I'll keep the premiere show of my play at the Pratvi theater. The second thing, uh, I have been into flying, you know, so I have done gliding, I've done flying because uh, you know I wanted to be a fighter bomber pilot, so. If time permits and I can afford it, I would like to do hobby flying. So these are the two things, you know, which I would want to do.
1: Super. Now, I'm just saying being Teachers Day, and since you have a huge fan following of so many students across the globe, uh, and all of them would be leaders in their own way as, as they move forward in their journey. How do leaders reset themselves for this impact that we are currently facing? what do you think, what do you see will change going forward to be seen as impactful and effective? I mean, most leaders are, 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 you know, uh, asking themselves, you know, how do we reset? And I think reset has become a kind of a a buzzword. The question is, do you know what to do, how to do
2: and and move it forward? So I'll repeat what I said in the beginning of our conversation, that being principle-based and having purity of purpose is always has an impact. So that's about impact. Going forward, principles will be the same, but uh, I'm consciously trying to expand my circle of influence, not for power's sake, but for social impact. So I have, for example, taken a well-considered decision to work on leadership and public governance. And when I say leadership, three kinds of leaders I'm referring to corporate leaders, public leaders, and civil society leaders. I'm on this board of International Institute of Governance and Leadership in Netherlands, you know, which was launched by the former Prime Minister of Netherlands, and the former Defence Minister, Mr. Joris Farahua, is on my board with me of Netherlands. So, we, we we will work on this going forward in public governance, because corporate governance, of course, I have worked a lot, and for the last 10 years, I have begin to promote that corporate governance and public governance both are two faces of the same coin and you just can't be doing only one without improving the other. So I've decided that the next 10 years of my life I'll spend more and more on the United Nations sustainable development goals. These are 17 okay. goals, they are also called global goals. So that's my uh, you know, future things that I want to do. To reset myself, to re enthuse myself, to rediscover myself.
1: No, So, on on, on the aspect of rediscovering yourself on the areas of sustainability, before I take uh, the lots of questions that are coming in, how do you build the awareness of sustainability in organizations and boards and work towards its implementation and, and more importantly, the measurability?
2: So, you know, I think businesses have to realize that. Uh, sustainability is raison d'etre for their business which means you know we have only one planet unfortunately and we have created the ecological overshoot economical overshoot and social overshoot kind of conditions and uh, and therefore uh, sustainability is not something which is separately to be dealt it has to be embedded in the in the strategy of the organization and the culture of the organization so i want to uh, 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 sort of talk of two alarming uh, things that are happening and why we need to work on this is that there's a burgeoning inequalities. You may have heard of 2%, you know, the 2% of super reach of this world, they own 98% of the wealth of this world. Even in India, the disparities between income and wealth is huge. So this is like a ticking bomb. Secondly, the climate risk is the biggest risk, you know, which world is facing. So both these problems cannot be solved without the deep involvement of the private sector. And because some of the multinational companies of the world have the market capitalization, which are larger than the GDP of certain countries. Just recently, you must have seen last week, Apple has achieved a market capitalization of 2 trillion US dollars. Can you believe? So there is an urgent need to redefine the business responsibility. Stewardship is the new narrative for the business responsibility and social contrast is taking shape and there is an urgent need to redefine the purpose of business once again. But there's a good news I want to share with you that the winds of change are blowing very visibly. And we saw last year in August, you know, the Business Roundtable in New York, which boasts of the high and mighty multinational companies like Apple, Microsoft, and even BlackRock, which is uh, one of the largest private equity fund, they have come up together with a new purpose, which indicates that there's a definite shift from shareholder primacy to stakeholder democracy and sustainability. On that note, I'd like to stop here and take any questions that audience has. Yeah.
1: So let me go to the questions from from the listeners, and uh, let me start off with uh, from a question from Pradeep. He says, "I mentor startups. A common perception among them is governance requirements hinder the, the exponential growth they have embarked on. Request your views on this and advice for young startups."
2: So okay, uh, uh, I'm saying it's again uh, looking at governance in silos. You know, it's like saying that. Uh, You know, when do you start uh, imparting value system and sanskaras to your child when he is young and uh, the age of two, three, five years, when he begins to learn or when he becomes 18 years or 21 years. So startup is like a young child, but it needs governance, it needs value system, it needs its own DNA and therefore it will not hinder your business. If right from the building blocks of the startup business, don't think that governance will take extra bandwidth, extra money. And therefore your current focus is going after business, establishing yourself. You don't establish your life without sanskaras, without corporate sanskaras, without DNA, without value system. So I'm saying that don't look at them in silos. It's a part and parcel and you will be a winner. As a startup, if you are starting on a value-based in a value-based manner, you are reaching out to the mentors who are value-based, you are reaching out to the all the advisors who are your value-based. And the best thing for startups, I'll tell you, don't, don't get into constructing the board. Get into constructing the advisory board. Because there are large number of people who want to give back to society and they would want to work pro a And if you can reach out to such value-based advisors, they'll be out of the realm of, you know, legal board, so to say. But at the same time, you will have the benefit of learning from their wisdom.
1: Very good answers. Another question from Ajay. In uncertain times, what is your take on intellectual centralization versus frontline empowerment? Uh,
2: You see, uh, I think it's again uh, goes on to the culture. Because culture is not only what is uh, at the top. But tone at the top is extremely important. So, if the board and the top management believes in a certain value system, uh, it it is their responsibility. And if they build a culture sincerely, it will percolate right down to the 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 person, like uh, let's say, Pune, Though I mean, there's a dignity of labor. He is not the lowest person, but he is the lowest in the rung, let's say, in the management hierarchy. Let's say our our salespeople, who are selling our products and services. And when they interact with the customers, do they make tall claims? Are they uh, misguiding them about the features of your uh, products and services? Are they making shortcuts? And if that is happening, do their superior bosses, let's say area manager level people in sales, I would give an example, regional manager level people, all India sales manager level people, general manager, marketing manager, and then comes the CXOs and the board level. So it's a chain. And they have to see to it that if it's a culture, it will percolate down even to the front line. So I have absolutely no doubt that, uh, that there is any disconnect between you know, these two. I hope I answered your question, Ajay.
1: Yeah, I'm sure Ajay is satisfied. Uh, Shanti asks a question and more so with uh, independent directors. Do you think the independent director exams prescribed by the MCA will contribute to a better board?
2: Well, yes and no. Uh, because, you know, I must tell you, uh, examination is one thing which one can read uh, certain literature and answer certain questions and all. But independent director is absolutely a very, very different uh, role and it just cannot come, uh, you know, by reading certain things. It's, it's, it's learning on the job. It's learning from your peers. Example: I have learned right from the. I Today, I am reasonably comfortable on almost every board and all. But when I go back, you know, 20 years, when I sat for the first time on a, as an independent director on a large pharmaceutical company's board, uh, of course, I was looking up to my chairman then, who was an independent chairman, also my other colleagues. So, but it's important. Why MCA? Because I've been a part of the. Uh, Sebi Committee of Corporate Governance, once I've been a part of the Ministry of Corporate Affairs Committee on Corporate Governance. Uh, And there is a merit in this uh, move because uh, we had seen in between certain cases, I won't name them, that there were cases where companies were nominating independent directors on the board who had absolutely no qualifications or they didn't deserve the position. So, at least by this examination, you are ensuring that some quality of people will get filtered and will come on the board. But having done that, being an effective independent director, there are three things I would say, three qualities independent director should have. One is the vision. Number two is the integrity. And number three is the courage. And without courage, vision and integrity have no meaning. Let me expand. That means it. You find out that in your organization or the board where you're sitting, there is something which is not in the long-term interest of the company and stakeholders. You must have courage to speak up. It's not with the idea of rocking the board, but with the idea of asking the right questions, sensitizing the management, sensitizing the promoters, sensitizing the CEO. So, uh, Shanti, I hope I answered your question.
1: Yeah. And a related question to what Pradeep, the first question Pradeep asked, I think uh, Rishi wants to build on the same question. What are your thoughts in building corporate governance in startup ecosystem, especially as many of them are funded by private equity?
2: Yeah, so I think private equity also believe a lot, you know, in corporate governance. I have seen, I sit on a couple of boards where... Some of the marquee private equities are uh, are the shareholders they have put in their money because in the, it is in the enlightened self interest of the private equity as well as the uh, promoters of the startup or these young cookies that corporate governance uh, culture is built again is the same answer which I answered when Pradeep asked the question: is the value system doesn 't come later in life, it comes very early when you are starting your life so when you're a startup company, do things right, getting it right for the first time is extremely important. And then it will become your culture.
1: Sure, uh, another question, uh, one related to, in stemming from governance in terms of how bad project managements can you know, create a mess. And there are examples in the, in the real estate uh, uh, in terms of bad project management. How do boards uh, review large projects and what are the kind of directions from a governance standard that boards give in terms of handling some of these uh, uh, problems that we've had in the past, more so in the real
2: estate. Yeah, so I think uh, whenever there is a new investment proposal comes to the board, it's extremely important that the board should very dispassionately look at it that whether there is a synergy, whether that does it fit into the long term strategy and the purpose of the company. Sometimes there have been occasions, I will be offending some of my CEO friends that, you know, there are certain CEOs who are megalomaniacs, and they go for mergers and acquisition just to make their companies big that they are the CEOs and MDs of larger companies. But if there is no financial synergy, if there is no the cultural meeting of minds, there's no chemistry matching, you know, those mergers and acquisition, and if the, Post-merger work is not done in a very, very meticulous manner. Things will not happen. So right from the beginning, when the proposal comes to the board, board has to ask certain questions, certain tough questions, certain uncomfortable questions, because it's not that you have to just maintain harmony at the board. You're not disturbing the harmony by asking these questions. You're ensuring the success of that promoter or or, or that CEO by asking these questions. So mess happens only if the... Effective oversight of the board has been missing. If the board has not asked the question at the right time in the right manner and have not asked the management to go back to the drawing board and do their homework and come back.
1: Another interesting question from Pradeep. Uh, If I'm not mistaken, this must be Mr. Pradeep Dhoble who's who's a friend of mine who's the the director in ITC. If If I'm not mistaken, although the full name is, I'm sure it's Mr. Pradeep Dhoble. Independent directors have onerous responsibility and accountability imposed by the Companies act. At the same time, there are restrictions on rewarding them. In such a scenario, how can companies attract high quality
0: independent directors?
2: Uh, well, uh, uh, I must tell you of an interesting uh, research with Howard Business School did, and the data which was shared with me long ago, 20 years ago by Professor Jay Lorsch, who, who was the one who pointed teaching corporate governance to MBA students in Harvard, like I I pointed teaching corporate governance to MBA students in Asia and India. So, uh, you know, 60% of the independent directors wanted to be on the board as independent director, not for money, but for the fresh learning and the fresh perspectives they will get into how different kinds of businesses are. run. So that's my first question. So they're driven, driven by Saraswati and not Lakshmi. And I'll come back to that. Uh, but it is important to, to reward the time of these intelligent, high profile independent directors. And I think the uh, Ministry of Corporate Affairs uh, has, and say we have done a reasonably good job by increasing the sitting fee now. And not only for the board, but also for every uh, a board committee and there is also a, a what do you call uh, provision through which the uh, what do you call uh, commission can be paid to independent directors mm-hmm. and there is a there is a limit to the commission that can be paid to the entire board but uh, there are companies look at the annual reports of some of the large companies and see the kind of uh, compensation uh, being given to independent directors so i think it, it's, it depends on company to company and it depends on uh, independent director to independent director. But it's a very tricky thing and I must tell you the dilemma is, how much is too much to give and how little is too little to give. And the companies have to strike a balance that if you give too much, you have a risk independent directors losing their independence because they'll become dependent. If you give too little, then their motivation will, is at risk. So that says balance, which companies and boards have to strike.
1: So we're coming to. We're almost running out of time. We're exactly. Not. I just wanted one last question from my perspective, uh, and then probably you could give your concluding remarks. Uh, why is there not very enthusiastic interest from in the industry to voluntarily get rated on corporate
2: governance? Uh, See, I tell you, uh, again, uh, why do credit rating agencies rate the companies and why do companies go to credit rating agencies? Because they see that there is something in it for them. If they are rated by credit rating agencies, they'll be able to attract, you know, good premium, good money. Similarly corporate governance also McKinsey research and there are quite a few research and I told you earlier that we need to build more empirical research to make a business case that good governance is good business and things will happen. There are companies uh, who are most willing and I think uh, five years ago or so there was a separate ESG index launched and let's say in Brazil, you know, there is OSPA, there is an old different, uh, uh, you know, Stock Exchange and Borsa is a different stock exchange where better governed companies are getting listed. So that trend is picking up now. Uh, mm-hmm. It'll happen. We have to be patient.
1: Okay. So I, uh, before you do your conclusion, there is a very interesting question from Hiro. Uh, I must ask this question: How can company boards create a culture to hear to hear diverse voices on the board?
2: So Hiro, uh, uh, thank you for joining, and uh, let me say. Again, it depends on on the chairman, because the chairman's first and the foremost responsibility is to get the best out of every director, be it full-time director, but more so from independent director. So chairman has to set the tone, set the culture of giving opportunity to each independent director to speak up. And I think it's important to listen to diverse views and even if the views are not, because if, if the differences are healthy, there'll be a churn within the discussions of the board and the best will come out of those churns. Therefore, I would place the responsibility squarely on the shoulder of the chairman. And if the chairman is independent director, independent chairman, things will be even more better. But not to say that non-executive directors like Narayan muti used to be at some point in time or. Radhan Tata, or there are many, uh, Mr. Kumar Mangun Birla, they are non-executive director, they are not independent, uh, non-executive chairman, not independent chairman, but yet, if they believe in bringing out the best from the independent directors and get the value for what they've been brought on the board, there will not be a problem. I hope, here I answered your question. There are some
1: more questions, but in the interest of time, uh, thank you so much for a very interesting conversation on, on a very important subject of Creating value through good governance and business excellence. Uh, I'm sure all the listeners would have benefited from your immense knowledge. Uh, thank you so much, sir. Any concluding remarks that you would like to be, uh, like to say?
2: No, just uh, one thing which I said earlier about this uh, SDGs, and I think there's a need to redefine capitalism. And I'm not for a minute suggesting that capitalism should change to socialism, but we certainly need inclusive capitalism responsible capitalism. In 2008, Bill Gates in World Economic Forum said that we are giving a call for responsible capitalism. Two years ago, I invited uh, the founder of Inclusive Capitalism, you know, uh, Lady Lynn Rothschild, who has started Inclusive Capitalism. And therefore, we have to see when the capitalism is redefined, it becomes inclusive. I think world will be a better place to live. That's my part
1: thank you sir thank you so much for your for your time and for imparting your knowledge and uh, i'm sure everyone is educated on corporate governance sustainability and business excellence thank you all for listening in mm-hmm.